This program is intended for mature audiences only. Altitude adjustment may contain language, images, or other content that some may find offensive. Your discretion is advised. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Well, good evening, good afternoon. I'm ready for evening already. Good afternoon, it's 2 p.m. Saturday, uh, 2 p.m. Central Time, Saturday, April the 9th, and Warren is not going to be joining us today, so it's Leonard and I, and we will do our best to make sure we provide a great show for you today, and we're glad that you're joining us. Um, we were having a discussion prior to um, starting on the air, and that's we get together and um, make sure that everybody's microphones are working and cameras in. And we started having a discussion, and I'd like to carry over that discussion um, because it is an important one. And um, one of the things that we had talked about, um, in fact, I've forgotten how we how did, how did we get started into that conversation? It was something you said. Well, it was, we were talking about, I was talking about this uh, YouTube Black video I was watching right. yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it was about the black exploitation film era and how the main people that brought that down was other blacks and the NCAA, NAACP and other blacks talking about the image of black folks in Hollywood when, as a whole, we weren't getting jobs anyway. But with that, we were getting jobs, but the people were against uh, what you would call what they said was going on in the black neighborhood. Just violence, pimps, uh, prostitutes, pushers, and all of that. Well, not much has changed as far as Hollywood goes because that is still a, a major part of the roles that black people get into films. But it also, um, you, you bringing that up also brings up, reminds me of a poem that Smokey Robinson did I think recently at least I, I saw the video recently where he talked about black versus African-American and that he's mm -hmm. not African-American he's black and uh, during the Amos and Andy era you know blacks complained about <clears throat> blacks complained about the image of blacks and that in turn lost those few roles that they that blacks were getting so it's kind of a Right. two steps forward, one step backward kind of a thing when you start dealing with images. But, uh, yeah, you were, you were, you were right on, uh, the NCAA, you know, in an attempt to elevate the image of blacks, hopefully, uh, pushing us to get better roles and be better represented and, and things of that nature, um, pushed back against what they saw as negative stereotypes. Right. And so and you just hear oh. Go ahead. Mm -mm. And you just hear the actress and actresses like Gloria Henry who came up during that era and she eventually would land a role on James Bond. Uh she was the first African American that made out with James Bond in James Bond movies. Mm -hmm. And she said she lost two apartments. And there were other actors that lost everything they had because of all the uh, of all the pushback all against the stereotypes. Pushback by the black community because mm -hmm. she said it. They you know and they said it wasn't that those films were necessarily grossing a lot of money or big major profits, but they were profitable. And it was beginning to get African Americans some roles, you know, other than like Sidney Poitier and Jim Brown and people like that. They were starting to get roles, and and you know, and I was just looking at Glenn Turman who said, "Now you had it where there was quite a few numbers of black actors that could pay their rent, feed their families." By doing something they love, they didn't necessarily have to go get two or three other jobs while trying to break into the business. Right. And so, so it was. Yeah, I, it was I, just. Yeah, I I, uh, I think sometimes uh, good intentions 
And and we had just had a show about good intentions, and this would have been a, a, a great um, topic to include into that. The intention was is that more people were being held back by these movies than uh, so more good was going to come out of having good intentions um, than you know um, than allowing those roles to continue to perpetuate so that we can break the cycle of behavior. And so there's definitely something to be said about that, um, especially when <clears throat> people like um, um, Scarface and The Godfather were popularized in the black neighborhood and everybody wanted to be um, Michael Corleone rather than a doctor or a lawyer <clears throat> or somebody like that. And so the idea was, is that if we change those, that imagery, then those people will, um, you know, then our people, not those people, but then our, that our younger generation will aspire to, to uh, higher aspirations. And the, the, so now we're, we're several decades down the road. And so there is, some progress as far as the aspirations goes, but um, so so along with changing those the perception, if there were other things that needed to happen in order for things to change, significantly change. Yeah, and, and like one of those things, some of those things happening. You have a Spike Lee getting into movie making. You have a Tyler Perry who built a multi-million dollar complex to shoot his own movies. Uh, so you needed things like that. Like Rui Ray Moore said in that particular film, he said, you know, for the blacks that were, that were complaining against us, they weren't the people that was bringing up the money to shoot these films. They would go see tickets, but you know, you gotta be on the front end is who financing all these films, who's doing this, Who's doing that? So that, it, it was an eye-opener, and I would recommend anybody go see, everybody go see that. And just how the name Black Exploitation came up uh, from a guy that was a part of the Los Angeles NAACP. He's the one who came with Black Exploitation. He came up with that term, and it stuck. So I will, I will include a link to the video in the show notes. So find the, the show notes. Um, if you can get to uh, go to my YouTube channel, uh, find my um, Facebook page. Um, my Facebook business page for the podcast is uh, facebook.com slash Lions Den STL. Um, and, and I will put the, put the link up there. So, you know, if you take, it's a, I think it's about 48 minutes or 58 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. I started watching it. Um, but preparing for the show, I had to, to stop. So, um, I was, it, it started out, uh, and they interviewed, uh, Mario Van Peoples and his father, right. Melvin Van Peoples. Uh, yes. And they talked about you know, the history and, and where all of this came from and how it progressed and what was happening. And uh, just a few minutes that I saw, it was absolutely interesting. I'm, it's definitely on my view list to go back and look at. Um, and so I would encourage you to do that. And again, I said, I'll, I'll put the link in there. Um, and ancillary to our discussion, we talked about uh, good intentions where um, I believe that I understand the current uh, climate about uh, imagery surrounding the Native Americans. And mm -hmm. um, when Leonard and I went to, to high school, our high school mascot was an Indian. It wasn't, um, it was an Indian. And we were called the U-City Indians. Now, the term Indians referring to Native Americans has since been abolished. And so I, I fully understand that. Um, but what I felt was, an, it was a significant issue, and, and Leonard and I was just talking about this, is 
that the imagery of Atlanta Lakes just removed their imagery of a Native American from their products is that more and more the Native American is being removed from the imagery of our society. So in a system where we want to try to make sure we include everybody, making sure everybody's seen, I think, is, is important. I do recognize that not all visibility is great visibility. Yeah. But like, so, so Leonard talked about the Redskins. And did you want to share what your thoughts were on the, on the Redskins? Yeah, when Washington called their team the Redskins, the football team of Washington. I agree with getting rid of that because Redskin was a derogatory term for referring to Native Americans, indigenous people. It was it was a term that they were given to call them down. To me, comparable to calling uh, black people niggas. Uh, so I agree with that. And they just now they just go by the football team in Washington. So, you know, that's what they chose. That's what they chose. But it was just amazing how when that guy who owns the team not first bought the team, he just refused to even consider even thinking about changing the name. And but that's what the free market economy in our country is, is if you don't do something, the marketplace can make its own corrections. Well, so, so I understand his reticence to change the name. So we understand that history, that people trust something that they've known for a long time. And so the Washington Redskins were known as the Washington Redskins. They changed the name to the Redskins. They weren't originally, when they started the team, they weren't the Redskins, were they? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I know their helmets used to be at one time. Instead of the picture of the Indian head on the helmet, it was a, a circle around an R mm -hmm. with some feathers coming off of it. Mm -hmm. Then later they changed it to the picture, the picture of the Indian head, but I don't know if it was considered red skin before then. Okay. And and so I, I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to think back. But... Um, I don't forgot where I was headed. Anyway, um, so I, I fully understand um, the imagery. Uh, or, yeah, there, there it was. So in, a, in the business world, a lot of companies want to let you know that they're a stable company, that they've been doing business for a long period of time, that you can trust them. And trust mm -hmm. comes from... Um, being familiar and being familiar means they've been doing things a certain way for a long period of time. And so I understood his not wanting to change that logo changes. Um, companies have had logo changes and it has cost them cons millions and millions of dollars. Uh, Coke tried to introduce a, a new Coke mm -hmm. and people just, lost their mind um, because they liked the old Coca-Cola. So I understood where he was approaching it from a business sense. And he was trying to balance his business profit profitability with his social sensibility. So, so that's, it, it's easy to just say, Hey, just, you know, you've been, you've been warned, you know, go out and change the name of your team. Um, when, when your life is wrapped up in something, um, you're probably not as quick to pull the trigger on change. Um, but, but I agree with the fact that it needed to be changed. Um, it was, it offended people. Um, and a product that is offensive, and I don't just mean, you know, people decided to get up in arms about 
Godfather's Pizza, or not Godfather's, um, Papa John's Pizza, um, mm-hmm. because their CEO was offensive. You know, so so there's there's a whole bunch of issues I think that are wrapped up into that, and I'm kind of getting off from the um, social sensibility aspect. Um, but I, but I think that that those things are all connected. Yeah, I mean, when you talk in business, when you talk about social sensibility, for business, it's the bottom line. What's the profit? Is there a profit in this? Does this take away from my profit? Does this take away from my money? That's the bottom line for business. So when they look at social sensibility or whatever, they're going to look at profit. And it's the same thing is what's been going on with these corporations and like the voting laws in Georgia and the voting laws. Now, Texas is running up and doing it. And uh, you had Mitch McConnell doing it in Congress, you know, with telling the uh, CEOs of the corporations they need to stay out of politics and basically shut their mouth. Well, he was one of the foremost people pushing for them to have their say in, in, in politics with that Citizens United decision, which said corporations could put as much dirty money in the politics as they wanted to. And, uh, you know, when McCain was a senator and Feingold, an old senator from uh, from uh, Wisconsin, they tried to they tried to shore up and clean up the dirty money in politics. It was Mitch McConnell that filed the suit against them. Now, when they don't want to say what he wants them to say, they need to shut up and uh, be quiet and stay out of politics. And, you know, this week, supposedly, he stepped back from that a little bit. And that's what I found out about Mitch McConnell. You give him enough pressure, he'll step back a little bit. And and here's, here's the thing I'm going to say about stepping back. So... So he's made the statements in the first place, so now you know how he feels. Mm-hmm. Him stepping back means absolutely nothing. Right. Mitch McConnell is a politician. He's one of the yes. ultimate politicians. Yes, he is. Uh, there are things that he has never changed his mind on. So I am suspect when he does step back that it's not another political ploy because he has now made his he has made his point clear about what he thought it was and he doesn't really have to continue to support that point in a, in a vigorous a way for his point to still be made because we know where he stands so yes. whatever you know comments that he made that seem to be backtracking on it to me they they, they become irrelevant um it's not that I don't want to take him seriously when he says you know, that I haven't heard his comments. So if you know the comments off the top of your head, I, I, I'll tr- maybe try to look them up when you're talking. But um, I don't. Mitch McConnell had in the, it puts me in a frame in the mind of a gamesman. Yes. Everything to him is about win loss. It's all calculated. There is no, there's no, I did this because I am a good human being. I just don't see that, that, that doesn't come across to me for him, from him. It is, it is for him all about gains and losses. Yes. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, he came out to talk bad about Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the reason for January the 6th, and it was the president's lack of moral responsibility doing the job, but yet he voted to let him off. Uh, Mr. McConnell, he called himself the Grim Reaper of legislation. And during Trump's years, there's about 400 pieces of legislation that went to his desk and died because he wouldn't bring it to the floor. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. Uh, I remember when Barack Obama was president, with all the things that our country needed, 
his only concern was to make Barack Obama a one-term president. So, you know, just like now, all the stuff we need, it's he's like this new infrastructure bill that the president is making, the current president. Uh, Mitch McConnell came out early and said it won't get a Republican vote. But we need roads, we need bridges. Uh, for about 10, 15 years, they've been talking about the fault of our electric grid and our power grid. And Texas, though it's not part of the federal power grid, it showed what happened when you let that infrastructure go. And in Texas, what happened? People was burning, was burning wood in their yard and 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 uh, and uh, setting fires in their house to try to get warm water to bathe. Mm-hmm. So because somebody like Mr. McConnell sitting there holding up everything. Right, and and. Uh, that's just one example of the behavior of Mitch McConnell. The fact that he felt comfortable enough to stand in front of a microphone and say our goal, our legislative goal, is to ensure that a duly elected president only serves one term to me tells you everything you need to know about the human being. That it's about wins and losses. It has nothing to do with the American people. It has nothing to do with what is right for the country. There is no political party on this planet that has that no single political party that has all the answers. As big as the Democratic tent is, that includes LGBT community, that uh, as many marginalized groups as possible fit under the democratic umbrella, they don't have all of the answers. Because conservatives or people who consider themselves conservatives, and, and anybody that's listened to this podcast before know that I'm not a big on labels, um, but they have to be included. They have to be included in the solutions because they live here, because they're impacted by the legislation that's passed. And so when I hear that um, that news people talk about um, that Biden can get his legislation through without any Republican votes. Um, that's disheartening because he may get his legislation through just as the Republicans got their legislation through without Democratic votes when they were in power. That means that the country is still, there's a rift because because these people now feel that they being, they're being put upon by the legislation that was passed. They're not understanding that it was a compromise, that, that both sides didn't get everything that they want. So now it's that side got what they want, so now we're in power, so we'll get what we want. And then there's this constant seesaw of, I'm going to pass my legislation, and I'll ask you once, and then if you don't capitulate to what I want then I'll just ram through what I need to, what I want to ram through. Um, We've got a situation where uh, for over 30 years, they were trying to get through um, national health care, a system where we can get the most Americans possible, get health care so that we have a healthy society, a healthy society any intelligent person knows that a healthy society is healthy. That's that's what healthy means. That's the basic bottom line. And yet, we have people that were actually trying to dismantle a system that was designed to make Americans healthy. And it, it the system wasn't designed for uh, Democrats only. It wasn't designed for libertarians only. It was designed for Americans And they didn't come up with a system that was equal to or even better than to put into place. They just wanted to dismantle the one that was there because they didn't, I don't know, they didn't think of it? Well, it's about, like you say, it's about wins and losses. 
And as I heard it said about Mitch McConnell, he's shown me by his actions, he's not worried about helping the American people. He's worrying about, am I allowing Biden to win here? Am I allowing the Democrats to win there? And like you said, the healthcare is topic number one. Most people go bankrupt and have financial problems because they're trying to pay for health care. And I know, like for me, I pay over $900 a month just in insurance premiums for my health care. And then I still got to cover a $2,500 deductible, and I got to cover this to cover that to access my health care. So after paying almost $1,000 a month, I still got to come up with another three or $4,000 a year to access that health care. And there is no reason why we should have to do that if we're the richest country in the world, so to speak. Uh, so I, you I, know, we should have we should have the same kind of medical care that the people of Congress get, on if, if we're doing that. You know, it's my opinion. I I I understand that. Um, I. So, so the first thing, and I'm glad you, you brought that up. So the first thing to me is how do you, if you're getting special privileges, how then do you connect with people who aren't getting those special privileges to make sure that you're passing legislation or that you're doing things that's in their interest? So if, I, if I'm eating every day, and there are people out there that are not eating every day. What is the what is the connection that I'm going to have? Because in most cases, they believe the reason that I'm eating every day is because I get up and I go to work and I do this and I do that. And and that's why I eat every day. And so if you got up and you did the same things that I did, then you can eat every day. When that's not necessarily the case, especially in the instance where um, they've passed legislation for their um, their their medical expenses. So they get, you know, um, a different medical program, they get a different retirement program. And yet some of them are willing to terminate um, med or uh, terminate um, Social Security. Um, and, and they don't have to live on social security. They don't have to, to be, um, restrained by its legislation, by the rules, by the, 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 you know, having money taken out of their check, um, to support the system by, you know, only getting so much when they retire. So they're not impacted by that system and yet they have to, um, operate or, or mandate that system. Well, you can get away with doing that because there are people in those industries, companies, who's willing to give you money to vote this system their way. I'm other I'm other I'm other thought that we should have a strong public option. Okay, because we've had all these private insurance companies all these years. With all of them here, we still didn't handle why we couldn't get every American covered under health insurance. And I'm a I'm a I'm of the opinion that we needed a strong option. Now Joe Biden, the one time I saw him in the presidential race get strong and sturdy, and he didn't look like an old man when he went against Bernie Sanders on having Medicare for all. I'm saying all those premiums that people are putting into the private insurance market that don't want to provide health care for us in the first place, hey, put it into Medicare and let people get the Medicare. Now, if you are against that so hard, come, what's, your, what's your plan for providing for the public a public option where everybody can get covered? Like Donald Trump kept talking about, oh, we're going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something better. 
he never provided, never provided this other plan that he talked about. Uh, the interview he walked out on with Leslie Stahl for 60 Minutes, he gave her a bunch, a bunch of empty pages. Uh, one of his aides came out and said, here's a bun bunch of pages. This is the president's care plan. And it was nothing. He, he never provided that. So That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So, I, so one of the things that you um, said was that you are for the private option. And for me, it doesn't matter if it's private or public as long as it's affordable for every American. So if, if the system, if privatization of the system provides the biggest amount of coverage for the most number of people, then that's the system we go with. If a public option is necessary to cover the maximum amount of people with the maximum amount of coverage, then we go with the public option. So I want the option that's best for people. The idea that the, the, the public system or th that the private system is better than the public system is such crap. That's, that is like the biggest crap argument. It's the, the same human beings doing the work. So all of a sudden, because you work for the government, you're stupid. And that's just insane. That's just absolutely insane. But but I do want the system to work for the American people. If you have a system into place, which we have now, where um, a portion of the people benefit and another portion of the population does not, every, every American contributes to the system somehow. So every American should get some benefit from the system somehow. And the way that we're pushing uh, things now is we want to push it in the hands of a few individuals and then let them decide how, uh, how to proportion or how to apportion uh, resources in our society. And we know that um, people have a tendency in those instances to take care of friends and family first and people that, and the, the further away from them that you are, the less that you know them, the less that they care about your well-being. Um, we get a lot of people talking about, you know, our, our, I know I'm getting, well, okay. So we have a lot of people that, you know, in times of tragedies say, you know, we're with you um, and, you know, we want the best for you. And then when it comes time to put together legislation or put together um coalition to to help solve some of the problems um then they turn to family and friends and they, they become isolationists so that their rhetoric doesn't match their actions or behavior yeah i mean you find out how people are when the rubber hits the road as the old saying goes okay i know you tell me things but when it happens, do you stand up to what you say or do you come up with all kinds of reasons that you can't do it or won't do it or what have you? Uh, like now, we've had these, we've had a new rounds of mass shootings like that in Colorado, like that in Texas yesterday. But what did Texas government concentrate on? They concentrate on vote and not that the people that got shot and, and, and the one killed yesterday uh, in Missouri, because of what Joe Biden said he would do, that was within his purview to do without congressional action. Well, Missouri is going to take up the laws to prevent the president's, uh, the president's executive lawmaking power from affecting Missouri. And they're just they're just not they're just not looking at that. They they want their personal thing no matter what, no matter who, no matter how. And and that's and that's where we're at.
So I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to I'm gonna circle back to mass shootings that you brought up um, because I, I don't think that uh, we've completely covered um, everything dealing with or done enough on you know people rhetoric not matching their behavior and so I do want to circle back to the to mass shootings because um, I, I got an article today um, and and it brought and I started doing some research and so there are things I want to talk about but um, so so you're right about um, people not their follow through not being not matching their rhetoric their their they make promises we are accustomed to in this country to politicians making promises and not keeping them now we get upset and and then we we make them retell the lie again when they run for re-election but they do tell the lie every election cycle 30 years we chased down uh, we chased down universal health care finally got it into place finally 30 years 30 years to do one simple thing and if somebody wants to tell you it's complicated i completely disagree there is complications in implementing it but knowing what we needed to do and then knowing and then trying to get it done wasn't the complicated part it was so the complications came in making sure that all pieces worked together for the system 30 years we worked on trying to get universal health care we finally get universal health care and now part of society believes they need to dismantle universal health care because they don't like it. Because it's not, they have, they have nothing to replace it with. They have, um, they have put, they put forth nothing. They put forth nothing t in the public sphere. It was a problem that needed to be addressed. There was a problem that needed to be addressed. Uh, and Warren here. <laughs> so anyway, there was a problem that needed to be addressed. They didn't come up with a solution. Someone else comes up with a solution and then they want to eliminate that someone else's solution. I, I don't... Well, what that makes me think of is those people always run, running around today talking about cancel culture. And that's been the big, biggest example of cancel culture that I've seen. You Why just would you call it cancel culture? It. Huh? Why would you call it cancel culture? They want to get rid of universal health care. Mm -hmm. They don't want it. Like you said, they never presented an alternative. Never have, probably never will, mm -hmm. but they just want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Now, when you use that against them and what they say, they, they call it council culture. Uh, the infrastructure bill that Biden has proposed. Mm -hmm. Are they calling that council culture? No, I'm saying I'm saying I'm calling it council culture because of everything they call council culture. Mm -hmm. it, it, in other words, if you say anything against them, it's council culture. I see it, but that's one of the biggest examples of cancel culture that I've seen. They had 51 votes on it trying to take it down, and they because in a lot of their places, their people like having health insurance, and they know if they take it down, a lot of them will be out of office. It's one of those bedroom issues or pocketbook issues that they will lose their seats in Congress, those cushy jobs they got. Uh, Biden's infrastructure bill. Uh, Mitch McConnell already said 
well, it won't get a Republican vote. Well, instead of saying we think it's too much, we think he should take some things down and will it down, let's talk to him, let's get, let's get some agreement on this. But he's already saying, no, it won't get a Republican vote. If so, that's not cancel culture, I don't know what is. <laughs> so, um, so, so their behavior is starting to, to have a pattern. Um, we know that they're not trying to find joint solutions. They're trying to have things one way. A win for me and your life will be great because I get my way. So when we push, when you push against them, they're going to come up with any, any kind of slight or um, any kind of slight or way to blunt your attack of them. So they'll, they'll say you're trying to cancel them or you're trying to silence me or um, you're doing this or you're doing that. Um, not because it's necessarily true, but because it defrays your attack. It, it pushes your attack away, and I have some kind of um, way to, um, to, to stop you from finding a way to build up momentum to change me, to change what I want. We know that that there's um so so there, there's not a an honesty there um which is part of why i say the rhetoric doesn't match the actions um they're not tr trying to co-run the country it is not important what other people that disagree with me want it is insignificant what other people um, who disagree with me want. What is important is that I get what I want. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back. We're going to do mass, uh, mass shootings. And we'll be right back. Experience Altitude Adjustment a weekly podcast about people, politics, and professions. It's built around user interaction, so join the conversation by visiting the lionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home. Okay, I got to run in. I'll talk to you later. Huh? Okay. Alrighty. So, um, mass shooting. I got a, I got a, um, link today sent to me. And it, it talked about mass shooting. And the link went to a site called republicans.quora.com. Talks about mass shootings. And so um, it has a picture in it of mass shooters, about 100 or so, 80 something. And it's a mix of whites and blacks. And so the site says everything Republican, uh, the dedicated core space for pure Republicanism. And so it talks about gang violence. And, and, and so it made me look in and start doing research um, if this was true or not. Um, I, the statistics didn't bear out that this 
posting was legitimate, that that the majority of mass shooters were uh, people of color. But in the course of um, doing the little, little bit of research that I was doing, and I think I really need to do a lot more research because there's a, uh, you can go to to a couple of different sites or you know several different sites and get a little bit of conflicting data, but the majority of the sites do have a tendency to be fairly consistent. Um, but I ran across this uh, Washington Post article, and I'm going to try to pull it up here so you can at least see the. Are you there? Yeah. 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 I'm here. So hold on a second. Let me try to um, pull this up. There you go. So I lost your I lost your video for a second. So people just had the opportunity to look at my beautiful face. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, hold on. There we go. Uh, here we go. So this, in this article, uh, it was an opinion article. It says the, the title is the numbers undercut myths about mass shootings and white men. So I'm thinking that it, it's an article of about. So I'm thinking it's an article. Is that you? Yeah. Okay. So, All right. No problem. So mm-hmm. I'm so I'm thinking it's an article that that's going to support this other site that uh, you know that white men really aren't the majority of mass shooting perpetrators. Um. No. In fact, the article specifically states that 60, about 65 to 67% of mass shooting perpetrators are white. The myth that it was trying to dispel was that of those 67% white mass shooting perpetrators, that they were white supremacists. So it was saying that just because white people make up the majority of the country, they're going to make up the majority of mass shooters just by simple simple population numbers. And and so I'm and I'm thinking this person really really kind of misses the mark. And here's why I say that. So, so minorities feel oppressed. They get angry, and in order in order for them to express themselves, they may pick up a handgun or something like that nature. They're you know probably in poor communities. And they're 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 less likely to be amenable in a difficult situation. For in the majority of the group, um, they don't have those pressures. So, what is their reason for picking up a weapon and shooting multiple people? And I think part of it is. They're accustomed to having everything their way. So when they don't get things their way, you with me, Leonard? Yeah, I'm with you. When they don't get their way, then they tend to use violence as a form of expression 
for not getting their way because they're accustomed to getting their way. Yeah. Am I close? Am I somewhere in the no, neighborhood? I, you hit the nail on the head, and I can think of a few instances throughout American history where that's been the case. Uh, you can look at the Black Wall Street riots in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, they didn't want the blacks to be part of this society, so the blacks got their own portion of the city. They built their own businesses. They built their own professions. And there was these white guys that didn't think they should have it. And some white woman claimed a, a black boy said something to her. And they used, jet, they used fighter planes on those black people that was used in World War One. And there was there uh, was East the, St. Louis. There, there was East St. Louis. There was Philadelphia. East St. Louis. Uh, Philadelphia. There's, I mean, all through the South. How many times you, you got to mention? They didn't like uh, the boy from Charleston that went into the black church and shot all them people up. And had the police when they came upon him later on when they took him to arrest. They put their guns in their holsters and took the boy and bought him. Burger King hamburgers on his way to jail. He got mad because he couldn't make a society that was built for him work for him. So he went into and trespassed on some people's property and shot up a bunch of black churchgoers. I mean, that's always been the case. They don't like what happened. So they get together and they use violence as a way to make themselves feel good about themselves. What just happened on January the sixth in our country? So, so, so I was, you know, the, some people I think don't, and and I and I realize that not every single mass shooter is is motivated by the exact same reason. I I, I get that. I get that there are going to be mass shooters who are who are sick, who are, mm -hmm. um, who are just angry or who, you know, some of them may have lived in, um, a, a minority neighborhood and were bullied. Um, you know, some of them, and, and I, I, I don't classify someone as being bullied as sick. I, I just don't being angry because you were bullied. is not, I don't think it's a mental affliction. Um, and so, so yeah, there, there are many reasons why people do what they do. And I don't think all the, the shooters are motivated by the same thing, but it's, it's hard. It's going to be difficult to convince me that someone who has everything that, that can work in their favor, um, even small instances where they're in a grocery store and, you know, um, a checker will look and see who's next in line and, you know, uh, call over somebody that they that they that looks more friendly to them than another person that these, you know, micro microaggressions happen to your benefit. Um and and then you want to shoot up society um so so I, I i'm just saying i understand that there's that not everything fits that fits that imagery um and and maybe and there's definitely need to be a lot more uh research done on that but it, but it's hard for me to to not think that that is a big factor in a, a lot of these cases. Well, I mean, it's just like anything else. You don't get what you want, so somebody's got to pay. You don't get what you want. I got you. Got to take out aggression on somebody. I mean, how many times in the South that? Well, just not in the South. Just, just period. Mm -hmm. uh, like. We, we look at the school shooting in Columbine. By all accounts, the guys were picked on or whatever. 
it's not necessarily mental affliction, but after a while that can begin to rate on you mentally, psychologically, and you just want to go after whoever. And they tried to take out a whole school full of people. Uh, the boy that did all that shooting up at a Sandy Hook, who sat around and played with these violent video games, then when it took his mama's weapons and shot his way into school and shot up a bunch of first graders. Okay, so you got people that's doing all kinds of things. Like, why did those people in Texas, when a bunch of Joe Biden supporters were doing a bus tour and they came up and and physically attacked the bus? Okay, so you, you've got all kinds of things going on. And a lot of it is because of anger and hatred and what have you. Uh, Alrighty. What so, can we do? Well, what can we do? <laughs> um, so, so, so right now, I don't think that, that we are, we are, I think, okay, let me, let me back up. We are in a society where we're not trying to find answers or that we have people in places that are actively mm -hmm. blocking actions to find answers. Right. We have a gun problem in our country and people are still saying, we don't have a gun problem. We have a problem with people with guns. It's the, it's the same thing, but we're playing word games. Right. We're having a situation where people are dying with guns and we're not addressing any of it so they're saying um it's mental health but we haven't done anything about mental health well access to my... let me finish real quick it's access, oh, yeah. so access to um so so not only are we not doing anything about it? We're making the situation worse because we're now eliminating barriers or hurdles or slowing down. We're eliminating, slowing down the acquisition of weapons and, and, and uh, gun or um, bullets in the situ in a situation saying um, we're going to make it more accessible for people, for, for good people to have a gun so that they can protect themselves. Well, I got a couple things to say on that. Uh, during my time as a firefighter, and the call, the medical calls that I answered where victims were shot, the people of mental health questionability were more likely to be the victims of gun violence than to actually be out there perpetrating the violence. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, uh, just watching NBC News last night, like I said, when the Second Amendment was raised, you had to stuff mullet balls in your gun. You had to put gunpowder in your gun. You had to shoot. It wasn't meant for all these AR-15 military-style weapons to be on the streets. And those weapons are for one purpose, but to kill a bunch of people real fast. That is correct. Those are weapons of war. Mm -hmm. We should we we shouldn't have that. Everybody, when the Second Amendment was passed, everybody wasn't walking, driving around with two or three gun racks in their pickup trucks and carrying two or three rifles. The Second Amendment was done because at the time that it was made, we didn't have a standing army. In America, so all men, 15 and older, young men, were supposed to have a rifle, supposed to have some bullets. And if something happened, every neighborhood had a neighborhood commander. You reported to your city commander. You reported to your county commander, your state commander. And that's what we had to fight with. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, I'm going I'm to I'm wrap you up. We are at 3 o'clock. We are done. 
we're gonna we're gonna save some of this discussion for next time. We've got a couple of uh, we've got a, a great guest coming up tomorrow. We're expecting uh, J.D. Dixon. He was a write-in candidate for the mayor of Belleville, and he's leading a um, uh, the Empire Thirteen campaign. Um, the, he, there's issues at the company that he works at. Empire Comfort Systems, and we, he's going to come on and talk to us about um, his experiences and how that how things are going. I want to thank you very much for joining us this afternoon, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. That concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment, and thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live on YouTube and Twitch.tv, and is designed for listener interaction. Visit the website the lionsdenstl.wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of Altitude Adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Stitcher.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share, and comment on this and other episodes of Altitude Adjustment because it matters. And as, and as always, always, look, look out for the other, other guy, because, because they, they may not be looking out for you. For you.